Good morning, Grace. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pause, 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 pause. Pause, pause, pause. I heard a lot of fill, okay? Let's try this again. Everybody say, good morning, feel. We have to stick with that because someone literally made me a coffee cup that says high feel with two E's on it. And I drink out of it every morning. So it's, I'm probably going to legally change my name. Man, first of all, it is a beautiful sight when uh, the house of God is full in the morning. I just got to say, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So give it up for yourselves for showing up. <laughs> wow. Man, I'll say this. If you're watching online, we love you. And I don't know what your excuse was this morning, but I got back from Buffalo at midnight last night, and I'm still here to preach, all right? So if your pancakes just weren't done in time, we'll see you next Sunday. Y'all know Phil comes out to convict immediately. Man, listen, turn to a neighbor real quick, give him a high five and say, I love you. Turn to another neighbor, turn to another neighbor and give him a high five and say, we got to get to it. All right, listen, y'all. Listen, y'all. Phil's hyped up this morning. A lot of reasons I'm hyped up. God has done a lot of things in legitimately the past, like, nine days, okay? But, but I had to start with this. I got a testimony, okay? I got a testimony to share this morning. Someone say, Phil, testify. All right? If we're not testifying every day of our lives, I don't know what we're doing, but I got a story to tell. I got a story to tell. I'm going to tell it. All right? So I, how many of you remember the story from our trip last year in the summer where we baptized 18 students in a river? spontaneously. There was no plan for this. There are some of my baptizees in the room right now. Love it. Love it. Uh, and, and we just had that same event last weekend called Road Rules. I'm going to show you guys a video or two from it. But, oh, man, like, I went into this trip, y'all, and I'll be honest with you, I had shared this testimony with you guys, man, like what God did last time, holy moly. And I went into this trip, admittedly, you know, as a guy who's like, bigger, better, more, what's next? You know what I'm saying? I, I legitimately was like, God, you know, how could you possibly top that? My expectations should be low. And maybe I wouldn't have said that out loud, but I was definitely acting that way and thinking that way. I was like, we're just going to go and do this trip the way that we normally do it. And God is just so unbound by our low bars and expectations. If you walked in the room this morning with low expectations of God, it's time for me to infuse you with some faith this morning. All right, here we go. Here we go. I don't know what your week looked like. It's going to be better after this story. I got to give you some backstory to the story, all right? few years back, I'm talking four or five years back, me and my bro Alex Gilbert, we would meet every single Tuesday morning for like accountability stuff. We did this for years and years and years. Uh, life's a little different now, but I still get to see him all the time. We would go to Starbucks, boo, their coffee's hot garbage, but they were one of the only ones open at six, okay? So we would meet at six, and every single Tuesday we had the same barista named Isaiah, same barista named Isaiah, and if you know anything about me and Alex, by our first time, he knew why we were there, you know what I mean? Uh, and we kind of get to know Isaiah, you know, we've first name basis type stuff. Maybe about six months after we had been going to Starbucks, and we see him every single Tuesday, he comes up to us, he, he had never really mentioned he was a Christian, which is ironic, but he was like, hey, we're going, I'm going on a missions trip to Cairo, Egypt, it's a month-long missions trip, I'm going to be doing like digital ministry over there. And he was like, I'm really short on funding is there anything, maybe, I feel weird asking this, but I know you guys have Christian groups and stuff that you could do. So we went to our house church and we said, hey, there's a need. Uh, we ended up fully funding his missions trip to Cairo, Egypt. So that's, that's, that's not even the praise, by the way. This was years ago, right? Well, he goes to Cairo, has an amazing time. He updates us. And the boy never comes back to Starbucks. Why would you? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I didn't see him after that. You know, we kind of lost contact. I just had his phone number. All right, fast forward. We're at Road Rules. It's Friday. We're having a great time, okay? Kids are going crazy. It's sweaty. It's hot. There's sun poisoning everywhere, okay? 
Uh, and I start looking at the weather for Saturday, and it says thunderstorms are coming Friday night, and it's going to rain all day Saturday. Well, Saturday, like, was our big outdoor day. All of our biggest challenges and stuff were on Saturday outdoors, and I'm not going to lie, I was bummed. I'm like, God, I don't really believe in praying for the weather, because if we got those prayers answered every time, it would never rain, and then we would all die from lack of food. <laughs> so I'm hesitant to pray about rain. Uh, but I was like, if you could do something, that would be great. All right, well, nothing's changing. In fact, the weather's going up. It's saying 100% all day. So I get with some of my leaders, and we start game planning. We're like, man, what can we do? So we start calling movie theaters. We start calling, like, indoor recreational places, uh, bowling alleys. Man, everything is either closed or, like, they're understaffed, so they don't open till late in the p.m., like, kind of disappointing stuff. Well, then my brother Fernando, was he in the room, Fernie, you here? My brother Fernando was like, well, dude, let's start hitting up some local churches. Let's see if the body of Christ can show up. You know what I mean? And we're a little over an hour away, so we're not in our area, so we can't hit up people here, we know. Uh, so we looked at some churches. A lot of them were really small. We had a pretty big group, so we, you know, we didn't think they'd be able to accommodate us. So I call Mark Fair, because Mark Fair knows everybody in the universe, <laughs> literally. And I'm not joking. This is how the conversation went. I said, Mark... We're out in kind of far side Gettysburg. Do you know any churches out here? And he goes, yeah, a few. <laughs> uh, he connects us with a guy named Jerry Stoltzfus, who's planted a bunch of churches out there. Maybe some of you have heard that name before. He connects us with one of the pastors that leads a church in Gettysburg. So I call this individual, and I'm like, hey, here's the situation. I got like 70 of us. It's, you know, the weather's ruining our plans. We need some help. And she's like, that's kind of a big group for our space. I don't really know that we have an indoor space that could accommodate that. But you know what? You know, let me kind of see what I can do, and, and I'll let you know. So two hours later, I haven't gotten a call, and I'm just like, man, we're, we're just going to have to, like, I don't even know what we're going to do. We're just going to sit in our tents all day. Uh, literally, that's what I was thinking. I was bummed. So I started driving to Walmart because I'm just going to buy some stuff for us to do. I'm just going to kind of make it happen. On my way there, Isaiah from Starbucks calls me. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is exactly how this went. And I didn't answer because I was frustrated with life. I was like, why? In the I haven't talked to you in years. I mean, literal years. It's probably three, four years at this point. I've not talked to you. Why would you be calling me? I'm not going to answer you right now. I'll call back later. He leaves a voicemail. This has to be important. We all know the modern day communication. You don't call at all, first of all. And second of all, if you do, you leave a voicemail if you actually need something. So I was like, this is so weird. So I'm sitting outside Walmart over there, and I, I listen to his voicemail. And effectively, he says, hey, this is Isaiah. I don't know if you remember me. I used to be your barista for a long time. You helped me go to Cairo, Egypt. Uh, I just want to let you know that the church you just called, I'm now the youth pastor at. Okay, uh, two levels to how amazing this was, like God all over it, insane type of stuff. Effectively, he called me, or we were talking, and he's like, man, i am be honest with you, like, with our history, I'm going to do whatever I can to, like, accommodate your group and bless your group, all right? Uh, but before we even get to the blessing, which I have a video for, I got back from Walmart that night, and the kids were kind of all over the place. It's probably about 9 p.m., and I said, children, come over here. Phil's got a testimony. Listen, it turned into two hours of teaching, spontaneous worship, kids yelling out sin, declaring freedom in Jesus' name. You don't believe me? Here's a video from around 11 p.m. Check this out. Don't go to the next video yet. Don't go to the next video yet. I got a bunch of those, by the way. Uh, I just want to, the reason I picked this one was because shortly after this, the camp came and complained about how loud our worship was. 
And you want to know what I said to those kids after that? I said, if the world's not bothered by your faith, be louder. I don't know who needed to hear that this morning. If, if the camps around you aren't coming and complaining about your worship, you aren't worshiping enough. Whew, that's not even the message today. Here's the second level of the blessing. We worshiped into the night. There were kids up to like one, two, I don't even know because I went to bed, okay? Uh, but this was the blessing they gave. We made the rain our plans. They set up for us a 20-foot by 100-foot slip and slide. They had a full bubble machine, all kinds of stuff, music, games. We were there for way longer than the schedule allotted. Just check this video out. I don't know who needs to hear this tomorrow, this morning. Whatever your plans are, his are better. Amen? <clears throat> All right. Should we get into the message? <laughs> Man, how y'all feeling today? Good? Anybody feel a little rise in their faith just now? Okay. And we didn't even get started. We didn't even get started. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray because we need God way more than we need anything else. We're going to get into Genesis 21. Genesis 21. So if you would, pray with me. Jesus, we just thank you that you are faithful this morning. I pray that even amidst a little bit of a funny story, but also a story where you're insane and just show up, I feel like there's someone in the room that both even from that right there as well as what we're about to talk about need to know that you are in the process, you are providing, and your plan is better. So I pray for the person right now who isn't sure about that because things have sucked, that you would just be present right now for them. And I thank you that you already are. I pray that you would illuminate your word to us in a way that these aren't just words on a page, but these are the words of eternal life. Would we believe that? We trust you with this time. Would my words fall? Would yours stand? And would you teach us something new this morning so that we would leave this room infused with faith in a way that maybe we didn't walk in with? We thank you that you will work that. In Jesus' name, all God's people sing. Amen. Come on now. Come on now. Hey, I feel like the more we do that, the more unified you become. That was better. I have no sarcastic comments. <laughs> I have some. I'm keeping them myself. <clears throat> we are in Genesis 21, so please open up your Bibles. If you've got your devices, uh, uh, that is good as well. We want you to be in that for yourself. It's good to hear someone uh, speak the word of God to you. It's better for you to read it yourself. I'm going to recap our last few weeks very quickly, and we're just going to jump right into Genesis 21. We're going to be reading down to verse 21 to 21. But the last, I'm even going to say six weeks, have been super heavy about what? The covenant that God gave to Abraham, right? We've talked about the process of this covenant. We've talked about kind of how they walked through it, some of the struggles, some of the distrust, as well as some of the things they did really well. We, we hit Sodom and Gomorrah. We see some of the interactions about all this. And in chapter 21, we see the promise come to fruition. The promise that we have spent six chapters, six weeks studying come to fruition. So we're going to just read that right now. It's going to be up on the screens, and we'll get after it. Verse 1, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. 
And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. We're going to talk about that. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders, and then he sent her off with the boy. He went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. She, then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I can't watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Another translation says the boy began to sob. Verse 17, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So we see the fruition of the covenant. We see the promise come fulfilled. Now, one thing that I just, I'm going to just kick it right off with, verses like 1 through 5, just right in the beginning of this, 1 through 5, I, I almost read this as I began studying it and, and was confused. Here's why. We see the promise fulfilled, and yet all we get is a couple verses effectively saying it happened. Like God did as he said, he showed up, and they had a baby. That's pretty much what we hear about this promise. Now, in the same breath, like we mentioned, Scripture highlights so much about the covenant itself, like the covenant as a whole. I mean, it's, it's in some ways the first chunk of the Bible is this specific covenant. In fact, there's literally six full chapters starting in chapter 15 uh, to, to them like getting it their own way and, and they try to do it by themselves to then God reminding them of the covenant a couple times, right? And we talked about how important it is to be reminded of God's promises. And then we talk about Abraham and these three visitors all the way to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Abraham's righteousness and these types of ideas. And we get five verses about the actual promise itself. And they're not even that interesting. <laughs> and I was wondering why. And I was, you know, we had a teaching team, and I was just kind of praying, uh, like, you know, hey, God, speak through this passage. That's kind of what we always pray before we give any level of message. And, and I was asking, like, why do we hear so much about the covenant and the struggles to get there, but we see so little about the promise coming to fruition? And I felt him leading that it's just kind of because of this. God's promises are just as much about the process as they are the product. 
God's promises are just as much about the process as they are about the product. And let me back up a little bit. I think via scripture, we could argue in some ways, God's promises might be a lot more about the process than they are the product. Six chapters worth more. I'm going to explain why I say this, but I think somebody in the room needs to hear this. God doesn't seem too, too interested in talking about the product of his promise, but far more interested in talking to us about the process. He walks us so much through Abraham and Sarah's faith through this, their doubts through this, their distrust that God could even do what he said he was going to do. And we hear about it more and more and more and more. And we're learning week by week how we can avoid some of the things they did, as well as we can lean into some of the ways that they were faithful. And then we get to the promise, and it's so small. Not the promise itself, but how it's talked about. I think we have two choices in life and faith and your individual situations. We can believe that God promises us things and then be miserable until we feel like we get them. Or we can believe God promises us things and be joyful because God is using the process to grow you closer to him. I don't know that there's much of a middle ground there. Like when I talk to people about the things they believe God has called in their life, the things that maybe they believe that they're supposed to get or achieve or the things they believe of God, there's not a lot of people that just kind of neutrally in the middle. You're either just miserable wondering where he's at and why it's taking so long or why he didn't show up the way you expected or why he didn't do the thing you wanted him to do or you have the people that are joyful even in horrible times because they know God's working in the process. When I asked you this morning, which are you? And we're going to talk a little bit more about this. I'm going to hopefully make this a little more clear to us. But even as I bring this up, which camp do you feel like you lean towards? When things aren't your way, when the products you're expecting aren't showing up, are you joyful in the process, trusting that God's called you to wait? Or are you miserable wondering when it's going to come? Do you, do you find yourself lost because you haven't felt like you've reached the destination when clearly in a lot of ways the destination's never been the goal, it's been the process to it. I'm going to ask you another question. In your current season, whatever it is for you, are you even willing to wait? Are you even willing to wait? Or are we going to be, like now we can go all the way back to the example Sarah and Abraham have given us, right? Are we even willing to wait? Or are we going to be like Abraham and Sarah, who now we're reading in verse 21, or chapter 21, how Hagar and Ishmael, who are the product of them doing it their own way and not waiting, are getting sent away. Are you willing to wait? Do you know that the word wait is in the Bible 154 times? And we dislike every single one. <laughs> all of them. Stop putting that in there so many times. Times God. Now, I wonder if he does that because he's aware of how bad we are at waiting. There aren't many words in the Bible more than the word wait, by the way. But maybe you're in the room, and, and before I get more into this idea of process and product, maybe you're in the room, and I want to acknowledge it, and you read about Sarah and Abraham getting their promise, and you're sitting there saying, well, I haven't gotten mine. So I can't relate. I've had the thing I've been praying for. I've ha I have the thing that I've been wanting. I have the thing I feel like he told me is mine and I don't have it yet. So you don't feel like you can relate. Let's give some examples. You've been waiting on that relationship. You've been waiting on that person in your family to get out of addiction. 
You've been waiting on a child. You're waiting on your marriage to get healthier. You're waiting on God to finally get to those people you've been trying to reach out to. You're, you're waiting for the job offer that you feel like you told him because you took a step of faith and stepped out of that job or stepped into that new season or stepped into what he called you, but you haven't gotten the job offer yet. You're waiting to feel joy when all you felt is sadness. I could keep going, but whatever it is for you, I need to ask you, are you just looking to God for a product or are you going to God for God? I understand the sentiment of going to God not for God because I think he can give me something because I feel like he told me something. There's been seasons of waiting in my life that popped to mind right away. In September of 2016, I felt God told me very, very close to verbally that I would be in full-time ministry. That would be my life's calling. I didn't get this job till three and a half, four years later. That's not even that long of a waiting period if in the grand scheme of life, right? But I remember in some of those times when I'm working like five to six years of chemistry jobs that I frankly don't like at all. Anybody just not like their job? Are we willing to be honest? Because that's like a hotbed for some people. Cool. And then the rest of you lied or don't have a job. That's why everyone's understaffed, y'all. You can't hate a job you don't have. Sorry, if you hear my voice crack, I've been speaking a lot over the past two weeks, so praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But I don't know, I don't know what it is for you, but, but are you wishing for a product while trying to skip the necessary process? Are you wishing for a product while trying to skip the necessary process? The truth for Abraham and Sarah was that the promise was coming. If God told you something, it is coming. Now, I want to be clear, that's an if. Just because you think God told you something doesn't mean he did. How many people have predicted the end of the world? And here we are. It's not a shot at anybody necessarily. might be. (laughs) The truth for Abraham and Sarah was that the promise was coming, but they had to wait a long time for it. And God highlights far more what we can learn from their process and far less about the product. You need to hear this. Uh, Your testimony in life. Your story in life, the thing that people are going to see in you the most is not God blessing you with everything you wanted. It's what you did while you didn't have it. I don't look at people who got the kid exactly when they wanted. I don't look at the people who have all the money. I don't look at the people who have all the success and the popularity and think, oh my gosh, look at your story. No, I look at the people struggling, walking in faith, and I want what they have. Man, are you trying to skip a process because you want a product when the product isn't going to influence really anybody? How you walk through the process will. I need, man, listen to me. I am not, like, dumb. There are people in this room walking through really hard things. There was a young woman on stage this morning whose house burned down last week, and she's still here praising Jesus. I, I, we had a conversation during this week where I said, listen, I don't want to put any pressure on you because I know you love God and I know you're walking through this faithfully, but I need you to hear this. The testimony of you praising God directly after a tragedy speaks way more than when you have a new house. Who is hearing me right now? Can I challenge us that as Christians, if we only go to God expecting stuff, only go to God when we need something, only pray when we're struggling, only trust him when things feel good, we're letting a product distract us from the process which God wants to use to form us and draw us closer to him. Man, I came straight from 
Buffalo to preach the word of God and y'all woke up on your beds this morning and can't respond to me? You playing me right now? Someone say amen. amen. Come on. We got to wake up a little bit, people. God is good. I want to ask you in your season right now, in your season right now, not everybody else is not the person you're thinking this applies to. It applies to you. In your season right now, are you pursuing God for something or for someone? Are you trusting and loving him because he's a good father, because he's holy, because he's creator, because he's savior, because he's good? Or are you trusting him and wanting something from him? There are people, a lot of people in this world, maybe even in this room, who doubt God or don't even think it's real. And it's because we've pursued him with expectation of a product rather than looking for a person. And the person's name is Jesus. And let me tell you something. If you walk the rest of your life never getting anything else you want, you got everything by him dying on a cross for you. Man, you want to you wanna know a fulfilled promise? You want to know a fulfilled product? Go look at the empty tomb, family. He promised you that and you have it. I don't know what else we need sometimes, but he's working in the process. Do you know that? He's working in the process. Do you know that? He's working in the process. Do you know that? So let's get back to this idea of waiting then. 154 times in the Bible and we hate everyone. Waiting on God is not just being patient until you get what you want. I'll say that one more time. Waiting on God is not just being patient until you get what you want. That is not what waiting on God is. Waiting on God is looking for how he wants to grow, teach, and change you even if you don't feel like you have what you're waiting for. We cannot wait well if we aren't abiding in Jesus and sitting on his promises. Notice, waiting is active. I, okay, pause. This is a little Phil ad lib, okay? I really, 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 really dislike how the church of Jesus talks about the idea of rest and waiting. Because here's what we do. We have conferences about rest and we have women's retreats about rest and self-care. Good things, to be clear, good things. And yet, did you know this? When the Bible uses the word rest, it's almost never talking about inactive. The, the words that are used for rest in Greek and Hebrew are active. It's talking about while you go do what you do, rest in him. It's not saying do less. I really dislike that type of teaching. That if you need to rest, you got to drop some stuff. There are boundaries to have, let's be clear. But God, listen, we have plenty of time to rest in eternity. I don't believe it's our call to be lazy and chill here in the name of rest. Waiting's no different. Waiting in the Bible is active. I don't know who that was for, but that, you know, God said it, so... I want to give you guys a little analogy because if, if waiting is active, if waiting is active, that means if you're in a process right now, if you're in a, even a painful process right now, and we're sensitive towards that, we've all either been in them or will be in them. If you're in a painful process right now, there are steps of faith that we have to take during the waiting. You guys need to take this one home with you. This is for free, okay? Someone who loves walking will always go farther than someone who just loves the destination, Think about that one for a second. Let that stir up here. Someone who loves walking will always make it further than someone who just loves the destination. 
You hear me? If we start to grow, like build up those spiritual muscles of even when it's hard, I'm taking those steps of faith. Even if I don't even know where I'm going, I'm taking those steps of faith. Even if it doesn't, like I don't know if I'm ever going to get it. In the same way Abraham didn't get some of his promises, I'm going to take those steps of faith. Rather than just sitting and waiting, expecting for us to show up at the destination. The person who trains themselves to walk is going to be the one that gets further. Are you hearing me right now, okay? If you walk in the process, you are faithful in the process, you fight in the process, you're going further than the person just chilling, waiting for God to do it. And God will do it, but we have a role to play. Man, I feel like y'all are the whole way with me, but the responses are disappointing. I'm just going to put that out there. Like, I feel y'all are leaned in and intent, and I like that. And yet, if God, you know, for me, if someone gives a word, I can't help but agree. You know what I'm saying? Do you know the word amen just means yes? It just means I agree? Okay, so use it. (laughs) It's a weapon. Dude, I promise you this, y'all. All jokes aside, the devil hates when the church of Jesus agrees on something. Do you want to know that when the Bible says where two or more are gathered, he'll be present? Do you know what the next sentence is? And when two or more agree on something, he, it is done, y'all. Yes, just amen just means agree. All right. Now that we've learned that, I'm expectant. <laughs> so, so, all that said, this morning, if you're in a season of waiting and you fe- you're feeling like you want to turn to those things that distract or numb or maybe you're losing faith that God's even in control. While you, like, while you wait, you need these types of reminders. So I don't know which one you need this morning, but let's go. I'm just going to list off a whole bunch of promises that God has already given you and that are already true today. That while you're in that process of waiting, whatever it looks like for you, you need to remind yourself of what he's already given and what he's already promised. He promises us these things. He's always good. He's always with you. He is faithful in all seasons. He's kind and compassionate. He designed you for purpose. He loves you deeply, the word says. He gives you power. He fills you with hope and joy. He will strengthen and help you. He will give you wisdom. He has a plan for your life. He will never leave or forsake you. He promises salvation to those who call on him, deliverance, renewal, and healing either in this life or the next. And I could go on forever because there are literally 7,487 promises in the Bible made specifically from God to mankind. I don't know. Yeah, come on, somebody. I don't know what you've been waiting for this morning, but maybe you need to know we already gave it to you. And here's what can happen when we start to hold to what God's already promised and came through with. We see that waiting in your life isn't just about the promise to come. It's about the promise of now. What is the promise of right now in your seat that you walked in and haven't been embracing? And the minute you do, you will walk and wait so much better. He promised things right now in your seat that are just as powerful, if not more powerful, than what you've been waiting for. Every time Abraham and Sarah failed in the waiting process, it was because they didn't see how God was working in the waiting. And Jesus is so beautiful and gracious that even amidst their failures, he delivered what he promised. And when he, was, and when he sit in his working through the waiting, they began to notice And he began to form things in them that never would have been formed otherwise. Brothers and sisters, don't run from the waiting that you're currently in. God has you there because he's working to form something in you. Don't miss the formation. 
Because he might be forming something in you now that's going to prepare you something for even harder later. And since you walk faithfully now, he's got you even better then. He's got you even more fully then because you were formed in the waiting process. I don't know what it is for you, but he does. God's promises are just as much about the process as they are the product. I'm sweating already, y'all. Come on. In Jesus' name. Let's keep going. Verses 6 and 7. We're seven verses in, y'all. Man, his word's full. Verses 6 and 7, the next couple verses. As Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I've born a son in old age. This, this, this should sound familiar. This should sound familiar if we've been tracking with this. There are multiple passages in the last six chapters of people laughing. Now, how they're laughing is very different. And that's what we're about to highlight right here. We see through the process multiple times this chapter 17, Abraham first falls on his face and laughs after God gives him the covenant. Covenant. Literally, he's like, bro, I'm old, ain't no chance. You know what I'm saying? He, it says he la- literally uses the word. He laughed at him. And then we talked a lot about this. Chapter 18, verse 12, just a little bit later, says Sarah laughed within herself, right? And we highlighted how God, what you got going up on here is not any more secretive to what you do out here to God. And it said she laughed within herself when she heard the promise. And God was like, why'd you laugh? I'm going to do it. And then we come forward here And while what we just saw was this skeptical laughing, this cynical laughing, Sarah's laughing here in verse 6. But look, you need to see this. This isn't doubting laughter anymore. This is not skeptical laughter anymore. This is not cynical laughter anymore. This is laughing of certainty in God's promises and celebration. My second point is this. God wants to flip your skepticism and cynicism and create certainty and celebration. Somebody say that ten times fast. He wants to flip your skepticism. Oh, man, my skeptical person in the room, my cynic in the room, I'm talking to y'all right now. He wants to flip that in you to create certainty and celebration. Listen to me. I've said this before, and I will probably say it again for however long I am graced to preach. Pessimism is a cancer in the church. Hmm. Why do I say cancer? Because what does cancer do? Cancer gets in here. It starts rooting to other things, and then after a while, there's almost no controlling it. I believe pessimism is that in the church. The opposite of trust, family, when we're called to trust, is skepticism. The opposite of celebration is being a cynical person. How can we be people saved by God, the God of all hope, and regularly walk with a cynical mentality? Man, I think what we, we do this thing where we look at these marquee, big, obvious sins. Well, you're a drunk, and you do drugs, and you're a porn addict, and you're just a jerk. You know what I'm saying? And yet, I would argue negativity is something we need freedom from in the church of Jesus. Man, there's people in this room that walked in, and you woke up this morning negative about everything. Maybe there are legitimately hard things in your life. Maybe there's family issues going on. Maybe your job situation's not figured out. Maybe you stayed up too late and now you're tired this morning. That's your fault. But you're negative about that too. You know what I'm saying? And you walked in not realizing you're as bound by that as anybody with a bottle in their hand. Hmm. Pessimism is a cancer in the church. 
I've said this too, like, listen, I, I definitely am an optimistic individual. But can I tell you something? I've had plenty of opportunities in my life to not be that. You, you think the devil doesn't just hurl stones at all of us trying to make us just hate everything and loathe our situations? He does that to everybody. I would argue the things you're strong in is what he's attacking the most. And yet, I, I got to tell you guys, even in hard seasons, my wife can attest to this. I have chosen to not let pessimism be a cancer in my soul. If I have the God of all hope on my team, if that cross is really bloody and three days later that tomb was really empty, I, what can I possibly be like down about? Sarah and Abraham operated cynically. They operated skeptically. And God said, watch me. Just watch me. Because what I'm going to do here is I'm going I'm to take what you are skeptical about and I'm going to give you this promise the, in the exact way you doubted me. The exact way you were cynical, the exact way you were skeptical is the exact way that he chose to display this promise to them. Hey, if you didn't know that, do you know what Isaac means? He laughs. Laughter. God named the promise after their doubts. Man, some of y'all need to hear this too this morning. We got to hear a lot of things apparently this morning. Shoot. Like what you're walking through right now is the exact thing he wants to stamp as your testimony. What, like this is why I love the phrase, your test becomes your testimony, your mess becomes your message. How often is it that exactly the hard things we walk through, the exact doubts we have, the exact struggles we have are the ways we're the most influential? So maybe right now you're in that season of doubt, skepticism, cynicism, pessimism. And right now you need God to drop those scales. We all got our own scales, by the way. You got to drop those scales right now and, and stop worrying about where you think you should be. Start walking through the process because he's going to take those doubts and he's going to stamp that as your testimony. Literally, you are going to see in the future the same things you had issues with in faith and believing are the same ways you're going to speak and preach to other people. I don't know if I've ever came more ready to preach, like ever. If you walked in here cynical about life, if you walked in here cynical or skeptical about faith, maybe you're cynical about church, maybe you're pessimistic about your life situations, it might be time to open yourself to him and begin expecting that he's going to flip it. The truth of God's redemptive nature is that he will take your doubts and flip them to be your devotion he will. He will. Man, you want to know the kids I relate the most to at Awaken? It's the idiot kids. <laughs> it's the ones that weren't raised in church. Mike, the Michael Bennett, he raised his hand. It's the kids that show up high. It's the kids that I know do a bunch of stuff they shouldn't. It's the kids getting into relationships they definitely shouldn't be in at a young age. Why can I relate to that the most? Because those were the same ways I walked away from God. Those were the same ways I doubted God. Those were the same ways I was skeptical about faith. And now God's using them as the stamp of my testimony to impact other people. Whoa, my gosh, y'all, what process are you walking through that today you need to begin to believe it's going to be your stamp of testimony? Wow. Come on. I don't know what it is for you. And if you aren't sold, if you aren't sold, man, I'm a good salesman, but if you aren't sold... Yet, like if you're not like, I believe you, but you're like, Phil, you don't know my situations. I don't. You're right. I promise you he does. But if you're not sold, 
Tom Rogers this morning, my man in the back. Tom, can you just wave to everybody? We were in prayer this morning. We were in prayer this morning. And this is exactly what he prayed. He said, thank you, God, that the cross was meant to be the ugliest thing ever. And today it's flipped to be one of the most beautiful things ever. If you don't believe he can flip your story, you need to see what he's already flipped. What was meant for shame and scorn, he turned into something we wear on our necks as a badge of honor. And just like he did it here with Sarah, God wants to flip your skepticism and cynicism. He wants to create certainty and celebration. I don't know how you've read Genesis as we've been studying this, but this entire book is teaching us to trust God. The, the stories exist so you trust God more. Not that you read these weird, awkward interactions that don't really make sense because they're, they're awkward. No, it's teaching you to trust God more. I hope you're seeing that. He wants to flip something in your life. He wants to replace the cynical pessimism with certainty and celebration. Let's keep going. We got to keep going. Verses 8 through 21. Verses 8 through 21. I'm not even going to read them all. We already read it, but I'm going to summarize it for you. I'm a, y'all with me right now? Y'all with me? All right, turn to a neighbor, give him a high five and say, I'm kind of with him. All right. <clears throat> I'm just going to summarize this. So, so we see these first seven verses, right? We see the process and how the, the promise almost isn't even barely focused on. The process must be so important. What's yours? And, and then we talk about this idea of God flipping your doubts and making them your testimony. And, and then we get into 8 through 21, which is basically this interaction where they, they start to celebrate Isaac and Ishmael's mocking, like he's mocking what's going on. He's mocking, because listen, understandably, right? Like he, he, Ishmael had no say over this, by the way. Like in some ways I feel sensitive towards him because he didn't chose to be born, choose to be born. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he didn't choose that. And yet there, there seems to be this harsh interaction where he's mocking probably because he's young and confused and he's like, why didn't I get celebrated this way? There's probably all kinds of insecurities and stuff going on in his head. Shoot, can we just be for a minute sympathetic towards him? I mean, man, I know that we sometimes view him as, and chalk him up as, man, well, he launched the Muslim faith, or is he the beginning of that? Do you know he was a human too? Do you know Islamic people are human too? That's for a different day. But, but for me, I read this, and, and I see God say, send him out. Listen to what Sarah's saying and send him out. I almost would think he would do the opposite. Of course, I'm glad I'm not God, because I would make horrible decisions. But he... he Abraham was distressed, right, for maybe the reasons we just talked about. And he's like, I, but that's my son. And God, God, I don't know. God said, don't, listen, don't worry about them. I got them. Listen to, your, listen to your wife. Send them. Get them out. He sends them off. He, 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 like, exiles them kind of. It literally says he sends them into a desert just with faith that God's got them covered. And I was asking God, I was like, man, why, why did you send them away then just to save them? It's this confusing interaction. Like, I don't even get why you sent them away to begin with. It's not Ishmael or Hagar's fault. Like, they were, she was told what to do. She was a slave. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem fair to them, but you ship them out and then you save them in the desert. I don't know. I'm kind of confused. And Ben Lawrence worded this so good. He said, I think God's trying to teach us about a principle and how much he loves people all in one sentence. He wants to give us a principle about who he is and how he interacts while also showing us how much he loves people. He wants to display to us a principle that certain things cannot coexist together while also showing that he's always got people covered. 
He's always there for people. He's always loving of people. He has these holy standards showing us certain things can't go, coexist, but love for people never changes. So we see there's a clear statement from God that the promise of the covenant, the fruit of faith, can't coexist with the fruit of the flesh. It's a clear statement, I think, from God that the promise of the covenant, your promise, what God has for your life, your purpose, the fruit of your faith, the faith in your life, what God's producing through the Holy Spirit in you, cannot coexist with the fruit of our flesh. So, so here's my point. We're going to talk about two things. Promise and promiscuity can't coexist. I'm going to explain why I use that word. Uh, you're going to like it. Neither can law and grace. Promise and promiscuity can't coexist, neither can law and grace. I think there's two levels to this idea that I believe God's trying to teach us about things that cannot coexist together. The first one is this, and I think it's apparent from our original understanding of chapter 21. Before we get into New Testament, before we move into New Covenant, we don't know any of that stuff yet. So if we're solely reading chapter 1, or chapter 21, I think the first thing we can understand, and I'm wording it this way, promise and promiscuity can't coexist. It's almost a play on words, but the first part of the play on words is that Abraham and Sarah had a son of promise, and they had a literal son of promiscuity. They had a son where they took things into their own hand. He went and had sex with the slave, Hagar, and they had a child. There's promise, and there's promiscuity. I think the that's a, a fruit of the faith, and that's a fruit of the flesh. And God is making it clear here they cannot coexist. Even when it seems harsh, even when it seems hard, even when it's a little bit confusing, maybe just to our eyes, he's saying these two things can't coexist. I'm gonna, I got it covered. I'm going to love the people I got to love. I'm going to do my God thing over here where I'm, you know, in control. But in your life, in your life, those two things cannot coexist. They need to be separate. The second thing I think uh, is this, like we mentioned earlier, God's getting across a principle here. And I think for us, right, this is, this is contextual to them. I'm big on making it applicable to us because I do believe while I understand scripture can't be like made for people it wasn't, context is super important. In the same breath, if the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing joint and marrow, you know what I'm saying? Then it is as applicable for us today as it was then. I think the second thing is this, if for us modern day, if we are called the bride of Christ, then there are areas of promiscuity in our lives which are stealing from our promise. If you are the bride of Christ, like, like our relationship with God and Jesus is literally, called, it's, like, it's like talked about as a marriage. And there are things we can do to steal from that. There are things we can do to, to cheat if you will. Like there are things we can do to be, uh, we're called adulteresses, by the way, multiple times in the Bible. Why? Why? Because our, our relationship with God is a marriage. It's this, it's this confusing, mysterious, holy marriage, right? So promise and promiscuity in your life cannot coexist. You see where I'm going with that? You feel what I'm saying with that? Like metaphorically speaking, it's almost like cheating on Jesus, choosing other things over him, going to other things for satisfaction. This may be lifestyles, sin, apathy, bad decisions, whatever it may be. It could be that negativity, that pessimism. It could be whatever, fill in the blank. But, but we, like, we have to see that they can't coexist with what God has for you, his promises and his purposes for your life. They can't coexist. Now, I want you to see this. Abraham had gotten his promise. And he had screwed up during the process. 
So this is not calling anybody to perfection. That is a standard that's far above us. And yet in the same breath, even after he gets the promise, God's still telling him, hey, listen, you doubted then I had to correct you. You had problems then I had to correct you. Sarah laughed in her head and distrusted me, and I called her out of her own thoughts because I needed. But even when you got the promise, even when you got where you were going, you still need to see that there's areas of your life that cannot coexist with what I've given you. It seems harsh to me to send Ishmael away. It wasn't his fault, and yet... God had him covered, God saved him, and God even gave him his own promise. But there was a level to which Abraham's promise couldn't coexist with Ishmael. What in your life might be hard to cleave, but you need to trust God's got it and that what he has for you can't coexist with that thing. What what does the New Testament tell us? It says that you can't serve what? It's the same principle. It's the same principle. I mean... It's the gospel, so the principles are everywhere, right? It's the same principle. You cannot serve two masters. Why? You'll love one and hate the other. Does that sound familiar to this story? Does that maybe sound familiar in your life? What are you allowing to coexist that is stealing for, from your love for Jesus? You know another thing, man? I'm about to just quote scripture for days. You know another thing that Jesus himself said? He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'm a What in your life are you allowing to coexist that may be making you that lukewarm person right now? That God's like, I got no interest in that. I'd rather you be cold. And Abraham had to, first of all, hear from God. You need to hear from God about these things. You need to pray to God, ask God, what are the things that cannot coexist in my life that I've been walking in habitually and over and over and over and over again, that once I get rid of, I'm going to enter into the promise. I'm going to experience more of my purpose. Abraham had to hear from God first and then make a hard decision. Man, I'll be honest with you, that's hard. Both of those things are hard. Hearing from God can be hard, and then making the hard decision to do what he said can be even harder. But are you willing? Abraham was willing, and we see that Isaac becomes what? He becomes the offspring that God promised. He becomes the the spreader of these nations that are filling the sky as much as the stars are up there. So let's just get right to this. What might be the areas that you already know God has told you, get rid of it because it can't coexist with me in your life, but you keep this and steal from me in your life. Your faith is suffering because of these types of decisions and people. Oh, let me just say this real quick. If that, I, it's so funny. I feel like God has continuously brought up this theme of what people shouldn't be in your life. What people are stealing from your faith. What people are, are not that squad that's pushing you towards Jesus. In fact, they might be sucking faith out of you. And even, I can't help it again, but like in this instance, it is what it is. Abraham had to physically get rid of two people. Two people. And it was hard, but God had them covered. I'm not saying to drop everybody, but maybe God keeps bringing this up for a reason. There's people you're not dropping, people that you're not like loving from a distance. There's people you're not separating from. I said this two weeks ago. If your best friend isn't a Christian, I don't know how you can call them your best friend. You can still love them. You can still be close with them. You can still be tight with them. But if they aren't pouring into your eternity, that doesn't sound like a good friend. And I don't know what it is for you because that is so hard. But man, Abraham had to make this choice. And who needs to hear in the moment that if you let them go, God's got them covered. And I'm not saying to go drop somebody. I'm not saying, especially in a marriage, I'm not saying that it's been hard, so drop that thing. Heck no. That's a whole different story, by the way. 
But I don't, man, maybe that was for somebody. I'm just going to keep throwing stuff out there and whoever needed to soak it in, soak it in. There, there may just be things in your life stealing from you. There are things in life that are like oil to the living water of faith. They do not mix. If faith is a fountain of living water and you're mixing oil with it, it's just taking up room in your cup that's doing nothing. What's the oil that is not mixing with your living faith? What, your living water, they can't coexist. They're just taking up space. The word literally asks us multiple times, what place does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What place does dark have with light? Oh, okay, the second level to this, the second level to this. So the first one is this idea of promise and promiscuity, man. What in your immediate life might be stealing from your relationship, your faith, your purpose, your promise? The second thing is this. And this will be what I close with. The second level is, is, that can't coexist, I think, from this story is living under law and living under grace. Okay. I'm going to be talking to my church people here. Okay. So if you're new to grace or you're kind of new to faith, some of this might sound confusing. Lean in with your boy. But some of my people in the room have been in church for 40 years and this is for them. So some of y'all are like, well, Phil, I've been doing what you're saying. I don't know. Let's talk about it. <clears throat> We're going to tie in Galatians 4. Galatians 4. Some of y'all already know where I'm going, hopefully. Galatians 4. Open up to that. If you got that, I'll have it up on the screen. Jesse, if you don't mind, just popping that puppy up there. Galatians 4, 21 through 31. 21 through 31. I'm going to read it, but it will be up on the screen. I'll explain why, why we're, we're jumping into Jesus territory. Well, this is all Jesus territory, but you know what I'm saying. So Paul's speaking, right? And he says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two, see, he's right to this story. It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. It is, is fruit flesh, right? I just said that. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. That's fruit of the faith. These things are being taken figuratively. The ESV says allegorically, you know, whatever big word you want to throw in there. So, so we're looking at this almost metaphorically. He's giving us a new principle to look at from this story, which is really exciting, hopefully. If it's not, that's okay. I'm excited for you. It says this. These things are being taken figuratively. The women, the women represent two covenants. This is the whole gospel here, y'all. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. But, but, Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman. That's, that could be a whole message to shoot. That's hard. Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. If you're in the room and you believe in Jesus, he's now talking to you. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. We just read that. He mocked him. That's the persecution he's talking about. It is the same now. Okay, I'm going to read that part again. <clears throat> At the time the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit, it is the same now. Amen. Does it feel the same now? 
It's still the same now. If you're, uh, this is not part of the message. If you in your circles feel persecuted in your faith, people don't believe what you believe, people mock you for what you believe. Man, we just walked through Roe v. Wade and a lot of people feel a lot of different ways. Maybe you had somebody say something for you for standing for the sanctity of life. Let me just say one thing for you. Always stand for what's right because you will be persecuted. It's the same now. Walk out encouraged by that. But what does scripture say? Verse 30, what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is new covenant and old covenant. This is for my, my Bible theology type people right here. This is old covenant, new covenant. It's what he's talking about. We are not children of the slave woman, a.k.a. the law. We are children of the free woman, a.k.a. the grace of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And I'm going to explain the difference and why I bring that up. Paul, so interestingly, later in this New Testament passage, post Jesus coming and already doing his thing and bringing the new covenant to us, saying we are no longer bound by the law. You don't get right with God by doing right things. You don't have to follow these things to a T to be accepted by God. Jesus covered that for you. He is the propitiation for your sin as well as the, the law has been made full through him. If you don't know that's what we believe... That's important to understand, okay? And Paul's talking about that, but then he says that this story can be viewed figuratively, showing us the difference between being born of the slave, a.k.a. the law, rules, legalism, I'll even put in there religion, from which is flesh, it says, versus being born of the free woman, which is the grace of God and the freedom we're given through our relationship with God. The context of this, just quickly, was that G the, the Jewish people at the time were struggling to believe in Jesus because they still felt like they had to follow the law. They still felt like they had to do the right stuff and say the right things and show up to church at the right times and tithe an exact amount and all this different regulations and rules that we kind of slap on this stuff, many of which are important, but we just kind of slap on it and we say, hey, this is how you get to God. Jewish people were, were struggling to believe that Jesus could really fulfill all this for them. I've walked in this, man. I've been faithful in this. I've been following the law. What do you mean that this dude named Jesus covers it for me? Now all I got to do is believe in him. It feels like I've wasted my time. It feels like I've wasted my life. That's the context. And Paul here, throughout this passage, is teaching them, no, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. His death and resurrection created a new covenant. And it's all about what he did, no longer about what you do. And interestingly, he uses Abraham and Sarah specifically from the passage we're studying to, to teach them that living under law and living under grace cannot coexist it's one or the other one creates slaves one creates free people there's a reason the non-denominational church for example is the growing church and that's a generic statement but it's true statistically for the most part and the reason is is because there's an attempt i think to break away from law-based living that I got to show up to a certain church and I got to sit up and stand down exactly when you tell me to. And then I got to go confess my sins to a man and that's going to make me free if I say a certain amount of statements, you know. And then if I go home and I religiously read my Bible a certain amount and if I'm in prayer three times a day at given times a day, then God will love me more and I'll be closer to him. And Jesus is like, no. 
Those two ideologies cannot coexist. I want to be very clear. Confession, prayer, the Bible are integral to your a healthy walk with Jesus. You have to do them, but not to be accepted by him. Come on. I want to give you an illustration that Jeff gave me. If you can't tell, so many people poured into this message because I've listed every pastor as well as some other people. There's a room, okay, just an empty room, and they put a a guy in it, and they put some music on. They put some music on. And the guy's like, oh, my gosh, this music is beautiful. And he starts dancing. He's just joyful. He's enjoying the music. He's not worried about anybody around him. He's just experiencing what was given to him. And then they take a deaf man, and they put him in the room with the dancing man. The deaf man can't hear the music, but he sees that guy having a lot of fun. He says, man, that guy looks like he's enjoying something. I'm going to do what he's doing. So they start dancing. You have two men in a room dancing. I'm going to ask you a question. From the outside looking in, is there a difference? No, you would never know. On the inside of the room, is there a difference? One is dancing out of experience, out of joy, out of understanding something that's been given to him and he can't help but dance and and just be a part of it. The other one is doing it because he thinks he's supposed to. If you're in the room and this faith walk, whether it's for six months or 60 years, has just been a bunch of stuff you think you're supposed to do. You come to church because you think you're supposed to. You read the Bible because your mom told you. You believe a certain theology because it's what you were raised to believe. I don't know what it is for you. Like prayer for you is nothing more than a checklist. You're the deaf man doing what you think you're supposed to. And we are called to be in the room full of music, experiencing freely what we've been given and enjoying every second of it. When you've experienced Jesus, when you understand the grace that he's given you, when you know how much he loves you, you will dance. You will follow the rules and regulations. You will want to do the things he's called you to because of the grace he's given you and the freedom you've been given to follow. Living under law, feeling like you have to, feeling like rules is all it is, and you have to do all these checklist things, that is not true life. The Bible calls that slavery. Man, the church, holistically, in the Western culture, as well as across the world, need to be free from this idea that we have to do something when it's always been about what he did. The only reason I want to do what Jesus tells me to do is because how amazing he is. If he isn't worth doing it, why would I want to waste my life following a bunch of rules some other person told me to follow? Do we see what is being highlighted here? Do we see what can't coexist? Let me give you the most unorthodox Christian advice ever. If the Bible is exhausting for you to read every day, I want you to take a month off and not read it once. I want you to take a month off and not read it one time and just experience the freedom and grace that Jesus has given you. Every morning you wake up and breathe, you're experiencing God's grace. Every time you have a meaningful encounter with somebody, you are experiencing God's grace. Every time you have provision on your like table, you're experiencing God's grace. When you start to walk in the freedom of God's grace, you'll go back and want to read the Bible. You can read the Bible all day long for your whole life. That won't save you. You could pray way more than I pray, but if you don't know the grace of Jesus, that won't save you. You can't live under law and be under grace at the same time. They can't coexist. They can't coexist. So which are you? 
Are you, are you just doing this Christian thing because you think you're supposed to? Do you live like it's a list of rules? Is faith, frankly, exhausting? Like, if you don't show up Sunday mornings excited that God could do something amazing, take a month off church and come back thinking you might have missed something, because you will. Man, I'm giving you the most uncharacteristic pastoral advice ever. You're going to get home and be like, my pastor told me not to read my Bible and not to come to church next week. (laughs) Don't give them my email, okay? (laughs) But you hear me, right? Okay, good. Or do you operate like the man hearing the music? I don't know, man. I I just want to dance through life. I can't even help it. Yesterday I was out in Buffalo performing at a kind of real janky area in like not good Buffalo. And I just was so excited to be there no matter what it looked like. I got up on stage and I performed and I rapped. If you didn't know I do that, if you feel a certain way about that, you should walk in the freedom of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? All right. But, man, and I just couldn't help but just preach. It wasn't even part of my set. I just started talking about Jesus and his purpose and his promises for us. And then I drove home six hours and late into the night and was so excited to be here this morning. Man, I don't know. Are you dancing through life? Are you? That is as available for you as it is for me. It is equally available. You can't do both. These things can't coexist, walk free today in grace, embrace his beauty and dance, love life, enjoy his presence, acknowledge his blessings. God's promises are just as much about the process as they are the product. God wants to flip your skepticism and your cynicism today and give you certainty and celebration. Promise and promiscuity can't coexist, neither can law and grace. We're going to walk in freedom today. And we're about to sing a song that the second song we did earlier, I was sitting in the back and I was like, how can we sing these words and everybody seems so dead in the room man I gotta go here real quick too I'm sorry but if you need loud raucous worship from a person you call anointed to worship God you're worshiping a person I can't help but want to praise Jesus when I'm singing can we put the lyrics up for the second song that the, the the bridge I think no maybe I don't know this one yes this was it I told them coming off stage, I went to Susan, I said, we're playing that again because they need a redo. When I look at words like this and I say, oh, what a savior, wonderful Jesus, that's your faith. If that doesn't make you want to get on your knees, put your hand up in the air, sing a little bit louder, nothing will. So we're going to do that. We're going to walk in freedom. We're going to dance today, family. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the words that you bring. I thank you for your Holy Spirit being present in the room. I thank you that when you want to say what you want to say, it will be said. So I thank you for this family of grace. God, we are not here for a building. We're here for a person. I pray that everybody would walk out of this room having experienced you deeply this morning so it changes how we live today, tomorrow, and going forward. God, would you just give us fresh revelation for what you want in our lives, whether it's the process, something you want to flip, or something that can't coexist in our life. Whatever it might be, would you illuminate it to us so that we walk out without it? This is the best place to leave it. Let it burn up in here. We love you, we trust you, and we want to walk in your freedom. Everybody's going to stand up, we're going to worship. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.